The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the latest uh, 13th Doctor, I almost said 14, 13th Doctor special, Legend of the Sea Devils. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. I think that 14th Doctor reference was a Freudian slip. That's oh, yes. revealing what you're really looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. looking for, well, uh, with uh, an asterisk, because who knows who the 14th Doctor will be, but we'll, we'll see when we get that. And we'll talk about a little bit about what's coming uh, at the end of, th- of this discussion, but uh, we'll definitely get there. Uh, we also have some listener feedback on our recent episode where we talked about the Sea Devils which was the third Doctor story. So that's uh, very timely. Uh, I also want to mention before we get into this this discussion that you should get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or more uh, depicting us and the TARDIS and us dressed up as several of the Doctors uh, by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. All right, so this is Legend of the Sea Devils. It is the... Is it the second or third of the second? Second. Second. Right. There's only three specials. And this is the second of the three 13th Doctor specials that close out Hurt and Chris Chibnall's time. And so, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this? The Doctor, Dan, and Yaz come to the coast of China in 1807, where they meet the notorious pirate queen, Madam Chen. Madam Chen has lost her crew, which is being held hostage, and she needs to find the lost treasure of the former pirate king, Ji Hun, to ransom them. In the process of seeking the treasure, she accidentally releases a sea devil, and the sea devil summons his people who are also manning or bedeviling, rather, their own techno-pirate ship. And the Sea Devils have been keeping the lost pirate king Ji-hun in stasis for the last 200 years. They've al- they're also after an infinity gem that will let them flip the Earth's poles, causing the water in the oceans to slosh all over everything. The Sea Devils get the infinity gem and start the process of the great global death slosh, but the Doctor does something involving technobabble and magnetism at the Sea Devils' undersea base that stops the big slosh and traps them at the bottom of the sea. She also gets everybody out in the TARDIS in the nick of time and finishes the episode ominously contemplating the fact that her time is coming to an end. The end. That is as uh, quick of a recap as as I think we could get. That was uh, succinct and complete in, in its uh, yeah. in its description. Yeah, so we I, I want to talk about some of the historical elements in this. Uh, which are actual history. So Madam Chin, also known as uh, uh, Madam Ching, I think it was uh, the pirate Mm -hmm. queen. Her name was Zengi Shao, which uh, Mm -hmm. was a real person. She was a real person, a real pirate queen active in the South China Sea in this time period. Uh, The other uh, ship captain, Ji Hun, was also real from the time period that they depicted him from. And the, the 1500s, the 1500s. And the Flor de, Ma- de la Mar was also a real Portuguese ship that carrying treasure that sunk. So uh, yeah. 
So uh, so uh, they they pull in all these great historical elements. Quick quiz: What would Flor de la Mar mean in English? Oh, I I know, but it's flor, flower of the sea. But yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah. flower oh, yeah, of the yeah. sea, <laughs> Flor de la Mar. Um, so so we start with the like the pirate queen comes to this village with the statue of a sea devil, and she hacks something off of it, and the sea devil causes the sea devil to come alive kill everyone in the village except for this one kid um well or at least you know he kills the father well he eventually he kills, kills a bunch of father. other people too oh well later he kills some other yeah, people yeah, okay. i'm sorry yeah i kind of condensed that uh, and uh and it all happens kind of quick and we're not sure why um and then we have uh the tardis show up and it's centuries off course from its intended destination do we do we ever get us an idea of where they were headed because the, well, like, so she, she, I think she said five centuries. It was either four or five centuries off. And so that would mean if they're aiming for the future, that they would have been aiming for the 22nd or 23rd century, um, or I should say the 2200s or the 2300s. If they were go- wanting to go farther into the past, it would have been medieval China. And yet, the, for some reason, Dan is dressed in pirate costume of the... 18th, 17th, 18th, or 19th century, somewhere a in there. Very, very stereotypical one, but that yeah. was Yaz pulling a prank on him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Yaz mentioned, you know, that about their, how they're aiming for a beach. So, you know, to co- quote the country song, they're going for some beach somewhere. <laughs> right. But, right. Um, just to, uh, speaking of stereotypical pirate costumes, the, the the things we think of as pirate costume comes from uh, a a movie of the mid 20th century where the the costume designer just pulled from um, gypsy costume department mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and threw a few, you know, hats or other things in there that looks variously nautical, but that's, but pirates in general, like especially European pirates look like all the other sailors out there. They, they didn't wear particular. <laughs> that sounds like classic who costuming where they just raided the wardrobe of the BBC and these will work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also the, uh, everything we think of as the way pirates talk like our matey was the uh, accent of a particular actor who played a very iconic pirate, which was uh, like a Cornwall accent. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah so this is the, in Penzance, they historically have in England, they have kind of have a very similar or the same accent to what we would think of as a pirate accent, but it's really just like a Cornwall accent. Right. Right. So anyway, our little pirate uh, uh, <clears throat> lesson aside, there's this geomagnetic disturbance that, that clues the doctor that something as weird is going on. Like first it pulls her earring and then it causes. Oh, is that what happened? OK. Yeah. 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 It's just like starts she getting... does say say hijacked jewelry. But I thought maybe it was like, you know, a wearable that she was. It was it's like a little speaker in her ear. It's like an earbud or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was like you can see like if you look closer, you see that earring is like uh, out and yeah. pulling and then she throws a rock to skip a rock and the rock goes flying off. And uh, I, I didn't, it unless wasn't clear that what that was made of. Unless that rock is made of magnetite. Why would that happen? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. They, they made it like, it was like, almost like a repulsor beam or something like that, that the rock would hit and, and skip off. But at first I thought it was, was going to be like a cloaked ship or something like that, you know, where yeah. it was, it was, it hit was something. hitting something and yeah. moved. Yeah. 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 Visually what she does is she, she, and then Dan and Yaz skip rocks out into the sea and they bounce off the water a, a few times. And then they suddenly zoom off in one direction as if they've hit an invisible barrier. 
what was causing the geomagnetic magnetic disturbance? Did we ever get a? This is one of the very unclear things about this episode, but apparently it's connected with the the Sea Devils base Mm -hmm. that they've got this geomagnetic stuff set up around their base, which is going to be important for their plan to flip the poles. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then, by the way, this kind of brings up. Oh, Go sorry. ahead, Father Corey. I was going to say that brings up kind of one complaint about this episode is it was, by and large, it was a good episode, but it was too pe- compact. You know, if we might mm-hmm. argue the third Doctor's Sea Devils episode was too stretched out, this was the exact opposite problem. And this is where we mm-hmm. see that, where they have things that they, they throw technobabble at you, and that's the explanation. It's just technobabble. Right. Yeah. Before we get too far in the weeds, I want to comment on a couple of things I think worked nicely about this. I think the basic story was fine. I enjoyed it. Um, but it had if you look at the details, it a lot of it doesn't it, a lot of there are problems when you look at the details. But the overall mm-hmm. story I thought was fine. Um, and I really liked the fact that for once we are on Earth and it's not London, you know, yeah. or it's yeah. not somewhere in England. Um, or the British Isles. For once, we're in a different, completely different part of the world. They've gone to America a few times with mixed success, but I like going somewhere else. You know, something that somewhere that that's historical and it's not a famous historical location, and it's it's not just British history or American history. It's somewhere completely different, and I I like that a lot. I also like how um, they have Madame uh, Ching, I guess is her name. I I think I had it misspelled in my uh, in yeah. my recap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the way they treat her in this because obviously she's she's female, but they don't spend time going, oh wow, Madame Ching, female pirate, you totally rock, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> female female female, girl power, girl power, girl power. It's right. just no. She they just treat her like a normal historical character, and that's great. That's as it should be. Yeah. Um. I, I think in part they may have been restrained in this case from hyper praising her by the fact she's a pirate, so she's right. not exactly the best role model. You know. <laughs> um. They kind of skip over what pirates actually do. Yeah. Um. They don't just have adventures. There's more to piracy than that. And um, so she's not really a good role model. And that, I think, may have tampered down some of the hyper praise we might otherwise have gotten. But I enjoyed having having the, you know, the female historical figure just treated as another character and not making a big deal of it. Uh, I should mention the we talk about the location being China. Uh, the director of this episode was is a Chinese um, uh, English. Uh, yeah, I would say Chinese American here, but Chinese British uh, citizen. Yeah, be- because of course he is. She, but <laughs> she yes, is. Yes, Hao uh, Lu Wang. Yep. Uh, so you get you get a you get that that Chinese perspective on things. Only uh, only a female Chinese director can possibly direct <laughs> a story about a female Chinese historical figure. Sure. Well, yes. I mean, there's the representation issues of outside of uh, of the the story itself. But yes, I know. <laughs> um, you were talking about Father Gray, you talk about like the compression in this episode. If if I have a criticism, I liked. I, okay, so I want to praise. Uh, I like the the design of it. I like the look of it. I like the design of the Sea Devils themselves. I thought that would they base you know working off of what we had in the third Doctor's time. They're uh, less horrible. They're, yeah. they're I, less I horrible. <laughs> I don't know. Can you have Sea Devils if there's not a whole bunch of you know rubber wetsuits involved? I mean, it just <laughs> right. it, it's not possible. Uh, so. 
and they were and I and I liked the story. But I'm gonna uh, here comes my drum. I'm pulling out my drum that I'm banging, which is why have a historical story and then plop this extra bit on it of the fantastical why can't we have a pure historical just like when they did the story the 13th doctor story on partition and had to shove an alien plot into it we we've taken this it what could have been an interesting story about a uh a 15th century pirate and it well i don't know if he was if, if he was a pirate but a 15th century sailing ship a, a portuguese treasure and an 18th century pirate queen or a 19th century pirate queen and have a story about that and time travel and all that sort of stuff. And you would have given it time. There was n- none of these elements had enough time to make them really an interesting, complete story. Like the, I felt like Madam Ching was undeveloped. I felt like Ji Hoon was undeveloped. I, I, I just felt like we tried to, plus then we had to add in the whole Yaz doctor relationship thing. thing and mm-hmm. we didn't have enough time for any one of those things to be developed enough. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Father, do you want to comment before I do? Well, like I said, I mean, first of all, just the fact that the the story did feel like it was it was too compressed. This is something I think if they had done even a two parter, uh, regular two parter would have been perfect. It would have been absolutely perfect uh, lengthwise. And I do agree with the the historical, although, I mean, the fact is this this is first and foremost a Sea Devils episode than it is the historical. It's just they happen to put it in a historical basis. I, I agree with you. I would love to see an actual real historical I think they could do that well mm-hmm. if they really wanted to. Uh, they just don't seem to want to anytime soon. So I agree with you by and large. And then, and then there is the issue of the significant looks between Yaz and Doctor and, and whatever. Um, but it's it's I agree with you that there's a lot more they could have done with this and they could have done with it with more time. And the fact it's a special. Why didn't they go for a longer length? It's a special. It doesn't have to be the same 45 minute time frame that the rest of New Who has settled on. Yep. So. Jimmy, so um, so the reason that they that they always have to shove an alien into a historical these days is because those worked better in terms of ratings. Um, we haven't had a true historical, meaning they go to a his- period in history and there's no alien or there's no psychic stuff or there's no robot or nothing exotic from the time, you know, beyond the time period. Um since the fifth doctor when we got Mm -hmm. the two-parter black orchid and so it's been a very very long time the audience currently now historicals with aliens worked better back in the day for ratings purposes than historicals without aliens which is why they started switching to that format and it's now been so long that the audience is unless you're a who fan and you know the history and have seen the have seen the old historicals, which are only with the like exception of Black Orchid, they are only in the first and second doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience is completely uneducated on that format and would not understand it. And if you're going to pull that format out, you're certainly not going to do it in a special. Um, the way to do mm-hmm. it would I be see. to do it in the middle of a season and ha- and hang a lantern on it by having the doctor and gang think that there's some there must be an alien explanation for what we're encountering mm-hmm. and then have it turn out to be, to be completely natural right. and have the doctor explain to the companions. Yeah, we don't always run into aliens on this. And then that would kind of reintroduce the format of the of the true historical. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. way to do it is in the middle of a season, not in a special. Um 
as far as the, as far as the timing issue goes, this thing is only 47 minutes long, which I was shocked by because mm-hmm. normally the specials are like an hour. And so this is 13 minutes. This is only 75% as long as a typical special. And I think it shows. Um, I, I saw other people, even before I watched the broadcast, I, I read a couple of British reviews or skimmed a couple of British reviews, and they were commenting on how it seemed rushed. And like one was specul one reviewer I saw was thinking maybe the beginning part of it in particular seemed jumbled to this person and maybe there had been some stuff cut out. And then when I saw it, I wondered that too, because there's a moment where the doctor has and Yaz have left Dan or are have stepped away apparently, but are still in the area from Dan and the Chinese guy's son, mm-hmm. um, who is the new Infinity Gym Keeper. Although we don't know that yet, and um, and and the 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 son wants to swim aboard Madame Ching's ship. And he wants Dan to come with him. And Dan says, but I've been told not to wander off. And and then they do go to start swimming towards the ship. And we immediately cut into the TARDIS. And the doctor and Yaz are coming into the TARDIS. And the doctor is, is planning to go. And Yaz is saying, what about Dan? And the doctor is saying, well, he wandered off. And it was a very mm-hmm. abrupt transition. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder, has, was there an original version of this script that allowed things to be explored in more detail? And then for one reason or another, either because they thought it, the extra material was dragging it down or mm-hmm. because once they saw it or, you know, because COVID or because who knows what production reason, they ended up cutting a bunch of stuff that either didn't get filmed or didn't make it into the final cut. I would. Yeah, I I felt that that same thing, too, that there were parts of the episode that felt like there were abrupt transitions. There were it felt like there was more story that we weren't telling there that Mm -hmm. were in the, you know, it might have been in the original idea, the original story treatment or a different version of the script. So I agree with that. Uh, So the sea devils in this one are especially given that we've just watched the third Doctor Sea Devil episode. <laughs> the Sea Devils in this one are different. Mm-hmm. They are... They're not wearing the blue netted surgical smocks. <laughs> they're yeah. certainly not doing that. They're wearing regular human clothes for the most part. Uh, we have uh, this, these weapons. They have these these poisonous swords, these lit poisonous swords now that fill every capillary with poison when they strike glowing. a person. Glo- yeah. Well, yep. semi-partly glowing poisonous swords. Yeah. yeah. Which is a pretty cool idea, actually. Yeah, the doctor was... does say that they were, they used to be conflict averse. And I'm thinking, was there, <laughs> did, did she misremember what happened in that, the, in the original Sea Devils episode? There's also a one in the fifth doctor's time that we oh. haven't watched yet. Okay. And, and these guys are more militant than the ones in, um, in, in the, in the original, um, there, it took the master to try to convince them that humanity was bad and they needed to take action. Whereas here, uh, the head sea devil who doesn't even get a name, um, right. Is, is just, he's just, he's, he's the agent of, of, of evil. He's the guy who initiates the evil. And the doctor comments that he's more militant and ideological than the one she's met before. Yeah, I yeah. And I suppose being trapped in a statue for two centuries will make you a little more militant and evil. What were the other sea devils doing while that guy was trapped in the 
this went by in a line of dialogue, but they were apparently in stasis. And when the statue broke, it sent out a signal that caused them to revive. And and the sea devil says to them at one point that you awakened and came just like the plan was. Right. Okay. Okay. That. Yeah, and that, that that's one thing where that they could have fixed if they had just a little bit more time where it could actually seen them waking up from their stasis chambers. But of right. course they didn't do that. They just they told, not showed. So the doctor decides so she knows that Madame Ching is going to go is looking for the she has this map coordinate or whatever that she took from the statue that's going to guide her to the lost treasure of the Florida Lamar that was on the ship of Jihan that sank several centuries prior. And so the doctor says, I'm going to, yeah, I will track her down by finding out where that treasure is and then going to that place now, you know, kind of beat her to the punch. Um, but the doctor gets to Jihun's ship. They see this scene, this, 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 this circumstance where Jihun is throwing all his crew overboard and then the sea devil chief shows up and then betrays him and, and, uh, takes over the ship and they escape and then they get back and then we have this whole and, thing. Where- and, and and they think that what they just witnessed was Jihan in league with the sea devils, mm-hmm. killing his own crew for some reason that would benefit him. Right. And they later find out that's completely not, that's completely inaccurate. Jihan was saving his crew by getting them out of there so they wouldn't be killed when the sea devil showed up. Right. And he was being, he was being forced by the sea to be essentially blackmailed by the sea devil into doing what the sea devil wanted. And they assume right. that Jihan's ship is being sunk at that moment. And there's like never a moment with like, I'm sitting there going, well, no, that's the same ship as the flying Dutchman that the, that the, uh, the sea devils <laughs> have. Like, right. Cause, cause in Madame Ching's time, the, the Jihan ship, although we don't know it's Jihan's at first mm-hmm. flies and it's got these green glowing techno things on the bottom of it that make it fly. So it's now a kind of flying Dutchman in the, literal flying sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. The original Flying Dutchman did not fly except in Land of the Lost. Right. right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, so I just, it just bugged me like when, when there's the, the circumstance where the audience, it's a, it's obvious to the audience what mm-hmm. happens. And, but the doctor who's supposed to be the doctor just clearly misses it just for the sake of extending out the, the story drama. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think the doctor does recognize things the audience recognizes and keeps mum about them for a while. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think they've established that well enough. We can imp- invoke that as a headcanon excuse if we need to. What I found annoying, I mean, because they did pull, I mean, it was only a couple of scenes where before they did the reveal that, oh, Jihun ship is this flying ship. So mm-hmm. they, they revealed it pretty quick. What I found annoying was whenever uh, the first couple of times we see the ship flying, it's like, that's impossible. And I'm going, we're on a science fiction show. Yeah. Come on. Right. Not impossible. Don't, you know, <laughs> that's, you're that's to- impossible is just this kind of stereotypical paint by numbers dialogue that I hate. Right. Um, yeah. If you're a space-time traveler and you got a box that's bigger on the inside than the outside, flying ship is yesterday's news. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so then we also have this uh, sea devil monster. I forget what they call it, but it's, it's they they basically call it the sea monster. The, they call it the Hua Shen, and it's basically mm-hmm. a kaiju. Um, and unfortunately, after introducing the kaiju and letting it eat us a, a fisherman— 
um, and it menaces a couple of ships. And they build it up as really, and it eats the TARDIS, which is how the TARDIS gets down to the Sea Devil's base. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at one point, it, they, they've got the TARDIS on the bottom of the ocean to look for the treasure, and the floor of the sea starts crumpling around them. And then the kaiju comes up and eats the TARDIS and, mm-hmm. and apparently vomits it up back at the Sea Devil base. Um, and all that went by really fast. And I, I think that's another area where there may have been some cutting or something, cause it seemed so fast. Mm. Um, but the, um, um, the kaiju just after a certain point vanishes from the plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that thing's still swimming around in the sunshine to see. <laughs> like, Is it still like, eating fishermen? I mean, what's going on with that? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I wasn't even sure what the point of this thing was. I mean, it just feels like we, they, we came up with this cool idea of this sea monster and then just drop it you know, halfway through the through the story. Another part like we're we're shoving so much into this 50 minutes and we we don't have enough time for everything to get it to get it fully developed. So uh, that was that I thought that was a little uh, a, a lost opportunity. Uh, so we got Dan and I guess his name is Ying Ki is the uh, young man mm-hmm. aboard mm-hmm. Madame Shing's ship. And uh, she has no crew because they've been taken prisoner by this other uh, pirate gang who we never mm-hmm. see. Yep. Um, and we're given her motivation, which is not merely to capture treasure, which which would be fine. She's a pirate queen. We have to give her. No, we have to give her a, a you know heart of gold motivation, which is she has yep. to rescue her crew, including her children from these bad, the real bad pirates. Her two sons who were three and six years old. And I'm going. Yep. Um, <laughs> three okay. year old and six year old on a pirate ship. On a pirate ship. And she has, a, a based on what they established, she's sailing this ship by herself. herself. Which is impossible. I don't, I don't, th- that's not physically possible. That no, kind of ship, you can sail a dinghy by yourself, <laughs> but yeah. not one of these things. It's much too big and complex for one person to run. Right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it, 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 it's just, we've gone into the realm of um, science fantasy, as, as you've mentioned before, Jimmy, like that it's just that in like firing the cannonballs, like the, uh, the cannons at the creature with the very long fuse. That's not how, that's not how cannons work. And, you know, just, yeah. It, well, can we talk about too about the cannonballs themselves, which are solid metal blowing up in the air above the ship? Yeah, when they the, collide together. So the so that at one point they fire Dan, uh, the young Yinky. Chinese gentleman, yep. and and Madame Ching fire the cannons of the ship at the big kaiju. And um, by the way, in terms of of why there would be a kaiju, I mean. If this were Japanese rather than Chinese in setting, it would be an obvious nod to Japanese to the Japanese film industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some uh, some Chinese uh, kaiju movies, but obviously Japan is famous for them. Um, I, so I don't know why they brought that in. Maybe it's also a Pirates of the Caribbean thing mm. that they're referring to because, you know, they have the Kraken in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um but they at one point they they it's menacing Madame Ching's ship and they fire these three cannons at it and the cannonballs zoom out and they go into the water and then they like bounce back into the sky and converge on each other and smash into each other and explode as opposed to just shatter, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. I had that in my notes too. Historically, there have there were 
possible. You could shoot an exploding cannonball, but those are special and they mm-hmm. certainly would not explode. They would not continue to have a fuse burning when they've gone underwater <laughs> and they yeah. come back out again. That's just, uh, yeah, I, that See, was these, these weren't, these weren't like grenades where they blew up after, you know, they were basically TNT or dynamite wrapped in yeah. metal that you then lit the fuse. Yeah. I mean, gunpowder inside. Yeah. It, I mean, gunpowder, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It, so that was yeah hard to. Now, but, one thing by, I did like, by, okay. by the way, when they when they do the reveal of <laughs> the fact that Madam Ching's crew has all been kidnapped, um, they do it in an interesting way. There's a, actually, I, and now that I think of it, there's a couple of Sherlock Holmes references or potential references. Oh, in yes. This. Um, one of them is when the doctor and um, and Yaz have gone to the bottom of the sea looking for uh, Jihun's ship. And they're they've opened the TARDIS doors and they're looking out on the seafloor and they've got the they've got the oxygen bubble extended and stuff. Um, the uh, they're talking and and the doctor calls Yaz's attention to the fact that 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 something's wrong. And Yaz says, what? And she says, no ship, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because they're the ship they're expecting to be there isn't and, yep. and it's like yes thank you i've been waiting for that for a yes. few moments now <laughs> um but uh but then later when uh dan and the young guy are on board madam ching ship and they're going where is your crew um she whips out a cardboard box and opens it and there's a pirate ear inside and you can tell it's a pirate ear because of all the earrings and piercings and stuff. Mm. But um, she shows them this ear in this little cardboard box and I immediately thought the adventure of the cardboard box. That's one of <laughs> that's one of the original Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories. And it's got the most boring title ever because it, it, it would be like today, the adventure of the plastic baggie, you know, <laughs> yeah. because. But I guess cardboard was a bigger deal back in the <laughs> late 1800s than it is yeah, now. Yeah. And so the adventure of the cardboard box sounds like it would be the most boring story ever. But what the cardboard box actually contains is a severed human ear. <laughs> and it, it ends up having this really powerful ending explaining how the ear got in the box. I, I like the Yankee says, is that yours? And Dan points out like <laughs> she has both ears. Like, yeah. it could be yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned the TARDIS at the bottom. See, I kind of I really liked that, the special effects on that. I thought it looked really cool. It, yeah. The TARDIS down there yep. and all the sea life and stuff. I yeah. have nice underwater graphics in my notes. Yeah. yeah. That, that although, was really although nice. I kind of wanted to smack the ass because, of course, the doctor goes to open up the door. She's like, you're going to flood the TARDIS. Like. You have literally been in outer space with the, yeah. with doors the oxygen open. bubble extended. <laughs> yeah. You've seen the doors open in Hello. outer space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have the sea monsters, like you mentioned, swallowing the TARDIS, dragging it down under. Okay. So we, I, I, I don't want this to be all complaints about things, but I have to complain a little bit, which is the, the, the Madam Ching is on board. The, the, they've lost whatever the keystone or the, the compass isn't working. That's what it is. Yeah. So she's going to navigate by the stars. Uh, she says, uh, oh, Ursa Minor. I'm thinking, would a Chinese ship captain have the same constellations yes. in the 1800s? They yes. would have called it Ursa Minor? Well, they may have said it in Chinese, but it would have been identified as the little... As, well, certainly, if Ursa Major, I know for a fact, mm-hmm. they, would, okay. they would have referred to as the Great Bear. Okay. Um, the Ursa Major... 
is referred to. Uh, apparently, uh, Ursa Major has been identified as a great bear for at least 15,000 years. And um, and the way we know that is it's not only identified as a great bear in Europe, it's also identified as a great bear in East Asia and in North America. Okay. Indicating indicating that the tradition of calling it the Great Bear went over the land bridge connecting mm. uh, Alaska to uh, oh, East okay. Asia um, 15,000 years ago, at least, maybe more. Interesting. And in particular, we know that that's what happened because the Asian and North American interpretation of the Great Bear is the same as each other, but slightly different than the uh, than the European version. Um, have you ever noticed that in the con in the asterism you see, that's what the collection of lines is that connect the stars. It's called mm -hmm. when you see a constellation, that's called an asterism. If you look in the asterism for Ursa Major in a standard Western um, you know, catalog of them, you you know you notice it's got like three stars as its tail, as the mm -hmm. tail of the bear. Do bears have tails? I mean, big, long ones like that? No. They're not long. They've got no. little stubby ones. Little yeah. stubby ones. So why would there be these three stars as a long tail in this asterism? Well, in the East Asian and North American asterism, they don't have those. Instead, the three stars are three hunters that are following the great bear. And there's a little, there's a fourth star up above them that is interpreted as a little bird that is guiding the hunters. And mm. you have this three hunters with a little bird interpretation, both in East Asia and in North America among Native, in, uh, among Native Americans. And so that's pretty strong evidence that this constellation um, would have been, uh, would have been recognized or is, as, is old enough to predate the land bridge crossing. Oh, OK. Um, also, it's awesome. By the 1800s, uh, you had global travel and global travel meant global navi navigational charts and global star charts and things like that. That's true. So I wouldn't be surprised if Madam Ching had European star charts. OK, awesome. All right. I am glad to uh, to have been uh that that is not a valid criticism because I, I really don't want to criticize everything. There was there's plenty that was actually well. Good. Let me criticize part of the scene then because good. the stars get drunk and start swimming around yeah, in that was my next way, ways that would not be <laughs> remotely plausible even during the Great Global Death Slosh. Yeah, which ha well, isn't even in progress yet. Well, I, my criticism goes even before that. That was clearly sunset and all the stars are out. Yeah, well, no, there was that you wouldn't just see that many stars. I mean, even before <laughs> the, 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 the death slosh star wobble, no, just yeah. the fact that, you know, it was clearly still pretty solidly sunset and you could see all the stars. No, sorry, that doesn't work that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even even setting aside the fact that these stars are moving independently of each other, so they're no longer yeah. fixed. Um, which is itself, I mean, that would require them to be moving faster than light and would have nothing to do with Earth. Yeah. Um, but even if they were fixed, if if there were a, if you could see the stars make a, even a one degree orbit mm -hmm. in a few seconds, you know, it orbits around its uh, uh, some center point in a, just a few seconds, that wobble on the Earth would, would, be the equivalent of a massive earthquake and you would just have sunk your ship 
if you were yeah. in the middle of a uh, of a slosh that was sufficient to generate a one degree circle of the stars in the sky in a few seconds. Yeah, that was the weird thing. Like, I didn't understand what they were like. I know what they were trying to do, which is to say, oh, they they, they can't navigate properly. But yeah. yeah, it was this weird. And I don't know if they were trying to show that the, the whole geomagnetic thing was affecting how the light goes through the atmosphere so they look like they're moving. But if they're doing that, they never said anything about that. Yeah. They never said anything at all. Yeah. It was it's just like they started doing it and then it was, okay, we can't use this to navigate now either. They're also on the scientific front. Problem. Their discussion of the flipping the poles is problematic, yeah. Um, because they seem to be talking about the Earth's magnetic poles, which are different than its physical poles. Its magnetic poles flip all the time in history. I mean, it takes thousands or millions of years, but um, but you have the North magnetic pole and the South magnetic pole reversing and it doesn't cause any problems on the surface. I mean, maybe the birds get confused when it's migration time, but there's no colossal death slosh disaster that kills all terrestrial life. Um, a rapid physical pole flip would do that. It would also completely wreck ocean ecosystems and you'd have lots of underwater death too. Right. Um, yeah. which they kind of ignore. But they're they're they talk as if the sea devils are trying to achieve a magnetic pole flip, but it it comes and I don't know, maybe if I went back and rewatched it and slowed it down and saw exactly what the doctor was saying, it would make a little more sense, but they seem to be jumbling up the concepts of a magnetic and a physical pole flip. Yeah, and then we find out that what the MacGuffin in all of this is uh, an Infinity Stone, or they call it the Keystone, but it's a ultra powerful gem that can do everything. Is that what they call it in the movies? An Infinity Stone? Yeah, yeah, in Marvel. Okay, yeah. I, in the, yep. I'm more familiar with the comics. Oh, okay, uh, right, right, uh, and uh, but they, in the, in this they call it the Keystone. Uh, which made me think of Ghostbusters. Are you the keymaster? Yeah, thought of that too. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it turns out that the villagers were descendants of the crew members who had bailed off of Jihun's ship hundreds of years earlier, and the the one guy who took the Infinity Stone was the ancestor of Ying Qi, and uh, he used it to freeze the Sea Devil into in stone rather than kill him. I suppose I'm not sure why you wouldn't just kill it, uh, but he, he was a pirate. It. Yeah. Pirates are uh, known for their mercy. Yes, yes. Um, uh, we, we get a lot of the Sea Devil Chief monologuing. A lot of monologuing. Instead mm -hmm. of just killing the Doctor or whatever it is he plans for the Doctor, he, he drags <laughs> her around through his base showing her everything so that she can have time to come over the plan. She kind of goads him into that, though. I mean, she's and yeah, they yeah. establish she, what she's doing is because she tells Yaz he's got a big ego and I'm trying yeah. to get him to monologue until he reveals something I can use. Yeah. Right. Incidentally, the Jihan, when he gets revived from stasis, he, he explains the Infinity Stone as having infinite powers, uh, the including the abilities to freeze life and time and transport matter. And so. um when it then turns out that young guy um, has it um, and has been guarding it, he's like wearing it on a necklace. Um, he and it's under his shirt, so nobody has seen it, but it starts glowing. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, and the head sea devil shows up at that point. And this is actually this bit is interesting because the the head sea devil has advanced technology, not just in that he's got a flying ship. He's also got a transporter 
and mm-hmm. it has a swirling green mist transporter effect. And so he's been transporting all over the place and actually using the transporter for tactical advantage. Mm-hmm. You know, he will yeah. show up where the doctor is not expecting him and then disappear and show up somewhere else. So he's actually using the transporter in a way that Star Trek typically doesn't think to. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But um, but he like shows up and he's standing right next to young guy. Once young guy has realized the significance of the crystal and I'm going, freeze him now, freeze him now, freeze him now. Okay, that's the obvious thing to do before. No more monologuing, no human monologuing. Freeze that sea devil now. (laughs) But But of course they don't. And that lets the sea devil take it. I should mention, uh, I, I think I said earlier that Chihun was a was a real person, and I, I was just looking through the notes again. He, he it's, apparently he's not. He's a, he's an invention for the show, mm. uh, but he's also not apparently a pirate himself. He's just a, a, a like a, a Chinese navy. Oh, yeah, he was oh. a sea captain, but not a pirate per se. Hmm. But then we get to I, this point. They could have made that clearer. Yes, I thought, I mean, why does why did, if he's not a pirate king, why does he have a treasure? That everybody's looking for. Right, right. He recovered a treasure. Did he get it off of a sunken ship, or did he yeah. sink that ship? If, and, if he if he was just a if he was just a, a, a regular you know merchant marine or something, he wouldn't have treasure. He would have cargo <laughs> or salvage would be another salvage. <laughs> yeah. And let's be honest, you know, navies back then, you know, when you're talking, you know, 1500s or something like that, the two could be interchangeable pirates and navies. I mean, even the yeah. Oh, yeah. even the, the Great British Navy as part of its uh, war efforts would turn to piracy in, against the enemies and things they like that. They were called privateers so, and were legal pirates, basically. Right. So <laughs> give, yeah, give, it was give Admiral, same difference. Give Admiral Nelson letters of mark and reprisal and you've got your own professional government pirate. <laughs> By right. the way, did did you know that the U.S. Constitution allows the government to issue mm-hmm. letters of mark and reprisal? Yes, I would. I would. I, I think that would be. Uh, I think that would be an interesting thing to see in our day and age. Like uh, yeah. issue letters of mark and reprisal to go after Russian oligarchs' private yachts and stuff. There's, there's been talk. There's been talk. I could see some former Navy <laughs> seals with a with a side job. Uh, anyway, that's off of our. Uh, <laughs> so Jihan, who's uh, may or may not be a pirate of one kind or another in in the course of a battle ends up killing the sea devil chief and the doctor gets very mad meanwhile dan just wiped out a half a dozen of them with one swing right so we have the obligatory shipboard sword fight and and it actually goes pretty well and i like the fact the doctor even the doctor is wielding a sword she's mm-hmm. not trying to kill anybody i guess but um but she is wielding a sword and um and we don't have any preaching about it. Yeah. The closest we get is at the end of the sword fight. Um, Jihan, uh, they've got has knocked down the head sea devil. And um, and this was a, a fight involving multiple sea devils. But at the end of it, they've knocked down the head sea devil. And Jihan, Jihan stabs him in the chest with one of his own swords and kills him. And um, and the doctor says, you didn't have to kill him. And he says, well, he. He, you know, he did all this bad stuff to me back in 1533. So, yes, I did. Yes. Um, <laughs> and 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 that's as close as we get to the preaching 
And I appreciate that. And then later, yeah. when we're in the under underwater base, and by the way, I really like the Sea Devils underwater base because not only is it an underwater base, it's also an underground base. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have a base that is both underwater and underground, and that's really cool. Yeah. And um and he, Jihan, and Dan are facing down a line of charging. Um, uh, sea devils down who are coming out down a corridor at them and Dan warns them and tells them about how how uh what a bad boy Jihun is with a weapon and and then Dan just like slashes three or four of them and kills them instantly with one blow <laughs> And right, it's yeah. like, Dan is kind of a bad boy with the sword, too. And Jihad <laughs> even says, where did you where did you learn that level of aggressiveness with your enemies? And he says, well, I grew up with my mom. Yeah, he should be my and mom. Apparently his, <laughs> apparently his mom is a real bad boy with, with aggression. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor's solution is to create some techno babble kind of reverse magnetic thingy that will trap all the sea devils or under create the ocean. a black hole it's not clear from the visual effect it looks yeah. like uh, they're yeah. forming a black hole but they didn't talk about a black hole and, yeah i mean she talks about it's going to trap them and anybody else down here for a really long time yep and, and but it looks like you're actually destroying and killing things yeah you know when yeah, you, see you see the, the ship breaking apart as right. it's being sucked in Right. Well, and then, you know, because the doctor's distracted talking about relationship stuff with Yaz, which we'll talk about in a minute, she ends up messing up and and cutting her time in order to get things done down. And because she doesn't carry any duct tape on her, which everyone should always carry some duct tape or at least gaffer tape, uh, she has the somebody has to hold the two thingy uh, hoses together to make the the magnetic thingy go up. She's going to sacrifice herself. Of course, she's not going to. And so Jihun shows up and says, I'll do it because I'm a man out of time and I I have nothing here left to live for. Yeah, kind of like in the kind of like in the season ending episode the timeless children we've got that death particle that needs to be released but and the doctor is going to sacrifice herself but out of nowhere koshama steps up to do it yeah, that's right that's right yep. we have uh yes, kind of uh, seen this yep uh and they managed to rescue enough of the Florida Mars treasure for Madame Ching to ransom her crew back. She's going to take uh, Yinky on as a crew member. Uh, yeah, and okay, so you've you, they're standing right there, and the doctor is saying, "Well, we better get Young Guy back to his village." And and I I'm calling him Young Guy because he is a young guy, yeah. and because it's <laughs> easier for me to remember that than it is his actual name because I don't have it in yeah. my notes, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. And it resonates with the Firesign Theater character, Young Guy Motor Detective. <laughs> um, but um, but it, it's like the doctor is saying, okay, we got to get Young Guy back to his village, and and Madame Ching says, oh, hey, he can just become a pirate and join me in a criminal career, <laughs> and 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 nobody has a problem with this. And I'm if come on, I know she's our visiting historical character, but she is still a pirate, and the doctor, especially a doctor that's as preachy as this one. Would yep. not let young man goes to become a pirate just slide by without comment. Well, we also, I mean, we have to give a little bit of a break too, but well, I mean, not a break, but also acknowledge that in the, uh, what was it, the 11th Doctor's time, the Black Spot episode where the mm-hmm. Doctor was also kind of okay with piracy, <laughs> or at least, you know, the pirates yeah, going out to right, continue. He literally gave the pirates a spaceship. Yes, they can become space so, pirates. But they were going to do good with that, as I recall. 
Mm, I'm not exactly. It felt ambiguous at the time. I think I remember, oh. but, hmm. but we we've romanticized pirates. They're you know, oh, pirates are cool. So let's you know. And this is a good pirate because she's got kids that she needs to rescue. Right, she's right. got children she needs she to rescue. Three so. and six year old kids on a boat <laughs> at a, sea in the, the early eighteen hundreds, and she's running a pirate empire. <laughs> yeah, you can't you. You, you you've come a long way, baby, to quote the <laughs> 1970s uh, slogan. Yes, the uh, cigarette yep. slogan, I think it was. Uh, then we have, uh, so as we wrap things up, we still got time. So of that short 50 minutes, we've got, we, we spend a bunch of it on this wrap up stuff, including Dan and Di patching things up over the phone, which was nice to see yep. them. Um, I'm not sure that was earned at all. I mean, I'm not sure what the point of that split up get together thing was in the grand scheme uh, of things. It's but just filling time and tweaking the emotional, you know, yeah. juice a little bit. And then we have the Yaz doctor stuff. And so we've got to talk about that a little bit, which is Yaz revealed to Dan out of the blue, out of nowhere in the first special. Uh, dude, wait, what? I thought my impression no. was, I mean, she's been pining over the doctor since, since visibly since Flux. Right. And, that's right. Yeah, Flux. and, and Dan picked up on it and talked to Yaz about it. Yeah. And, and says, I think, and she's denying it and says, I think you know what I mean. I think, yeah, I still felt like it, it was in flux. Yeah. Uh, when they were on that ship um, in the 20s or whatever it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but I still felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Like suddenly Diaz has feelings for the doctor and it was kind of. Well, it had not been effectively set up in yeah. previous seasons and in the two previous seasons of Yaz. And so it did kind of come out It for the visual audience. It came out of nowhere where it really came from was a desire to, you know, do, to do this on the part of Chris Chibnall and a lot of shipping among the fans. Yeah. 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 So. The doctor in this episode kind of bro- uh, stumbles over it by when they're at the bottom of the sea says, I'm I'm a pretty good date, aren't I? Uh, or something along those lines. And, and this alarms yeah. Yaz because Yaz does not want the doctor to know about her feelings. Yeah. And so she and so she suspects that that Dan must have told the doctor about Yaz's feelings, which she does not like. Um, and. You know, and understandably, you don't want someone, you know, if you have if you have romantic feelings for somebody and you're too scared to talk to them about it, you don't want someone else, you know, to uh, to right. to do that. Um, and and so uh, it's unclear to me if he has actually did that. I mean, sorry, if Dan actually did that or if the doctor has picked up on it in another way. But the upshot of it is that the doctor, the doctor is not going to date Yaz because Mm -hmm. she she recognizes that all of her relationships are going to end and um, and she can't fix herself. So this is more of the Jodie Whittaker as a brittle, fragile doctor. Uh, I Mm want to go ahead. uh, Maybe not dispute, but. I felt like when she said, I can't fix myself anywhere or to anyone. And I felt like she oh, was wait, using wait, wait. fix in that you're right. sense. Mean, meaning yeah. attach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're right. She does. Uh, based on what she later says. Yes. Yeah. Um, she uh, so she can't uh, she can't form permanent attachments to anybody because it will ultimately end and that will result in pain. And I'm going, OK, 
you know, us mortals have to deal with that, too. Have yeah. you heard of widows and widowers? Well, right. uh, yeah. unless you die in a simultaneous crash, everybody ends up as one or the other of those. Or you got a 50 percent chance of ending up as one or the other of those. Yeah. Um, and so it were divorcee, in which case you can both have pain. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, that's just what people have to deal with in love. Um, on the So I wasn't particularly impressed by that. But um, it does indicate uh, it, it, why River Song was a good spouse for the doctor, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. River is not bound to one time. And it's not right. like River is going to be with the doctor for X number of years and then River is going to die and leave the doctor alone. It's much more complex than that. And when you have this time traveler who is not raised with 21st century ideas of marriage, but with 41st century ideas, you know, she's she's up for the fact that she's not going to be with the doctor all the time. They're going to have this really complex relationship. They're only going to see each other at certain points. And um, and and she would be prepared, Riverwood, for a a for a relationship with the doctor in a way someone like Yaz would not be. Right. Right. And she does. And and, uh, the doctor does mention uh, River uh, in passing. Yeah. And, And this is part of and of course, you know, if you're letting someone down, you do want to say something nice to them if you can. But what the doctor says is, I think you're one of the greatest people I've ever known, including my wife. And the, the ass is like, what? It's like, I was a different man then. Um, <laughs> and, right. and OK, so the reference to River is fine. But the I think you're one of the greatest people I've ever met. It, well, there's more ridiculous Yaz praising, yep. just like Graham did, as they have done right. nothing to establish Yaz as one of the greatest people ever. Not right. even on this show. There are other other assistants who have who have been of more use to the doctor than Yaz has. And right. Yaz does not have Yaz is this kind of broody person that um, she's not she doesn't have the greatest personality ever. She's not the most helpful ever. She's not the smartest ever. I don't know. She's not the most moral ever. I don't know what what by what standard Yaz is receiving all of this praise. I could like roll off a half a dozen uh, com- previous companions who I would rate higher on the scale as yeah, better companions. Most of them, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. right. I mean, a few, okay, a few are Ad- lower, but Adric would be lower. But you know, Ace, yeah. Ace, Ace higher, Jamie higher, Sarah Jane higher, Tegan um, higher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned these on yeah. purpose. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, and yes, you know. Brings out grandma's wisdom, courage, just knowing something will hurt and doing it anyway, which is not the classical definition of courage mm. or bravery. It's it, but, you know, it's the therapeutic version. Yeah. And it's we then get hurt. a nice line of, of course, she also said that was the definition of insanity. Yes, right. Mm. Um, I think so for for me overall, I have I, so it, Actually, let's let's go do our final, you know, uh, if we have any other things we want to say about this episode of Father Corey, before we get to like summing things up. uh, Any other things you want to say? Um, Just one thing. uh, Jimmy used the term kaiju, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure most of our listeners know what that are. But for people like me who don't, those are both the giant monster movies 
and the monsters within him. So Godzilla is probably the most well-known here in the United States of a kaiju, yeah. both kaiju movie and kaiju monster. And so when he called the, the Hua Shen a kaiju, that's what he was talking about is this giant, you know, mythical monster right. that you'd see like in the Godzilla movies or and so on. So I just, grim. Yeah. That was, that just was, wanted to mention that. That was very because, like I, said, I like that. This was now turning into secrets of secrets of Doctor Who. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, it's just, it was just something, like I said, it, it, I had not heard that word. I was familiar with the concept, uh-huh. so I'm, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who did. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy, any final things to say about this episode? Before so we... I like to see the TARDIS landing on a beach. Other mm-hmm. than a rock quarry, beach landings are... Um, are are something we've seen before in the series. Yeah. Because in addition to having beach empty rock quarries you can go fill film in, there are empty beaches in England you can go film on. Mm-hmm. Um the uh I liked some of the uh, there was some nice dialogue in this. I liked when the doctor first meets the head sea devil and says, you know, sea devil and it he looks at her and says land parasite. and and then later he refers to humans as land crawlers consistently so i like that you know insight into sea devil culture um also there's a great bit and i personally am terrible at judging ages um you know i i i i do not I, I do not know how to really, I mean, I can tell as someone young or are they old or are they somewhere in the middle, but I'm terrible at judging people's ages um, in partly because I, I, you know, can't, well, I inherited really good skin from my mom. And so I look younger than I actually am. Mm-hmm. And that throws off my estimation because what I see in the mirror, I can't use as a comparison. Um, but, uh, I, I felt, uh, I, there was a really nice bit with young guy and Dan where they first get on Madam Ching's ship and, <laughs> and young guy assumes that Dan must be a competent fighter. And Dan is like, why do you think that? And he says, well, you must have, um, you must be a pretty good fighter if you've managed to survive until age. And then he freezes and he's not sure what age to say. And he tries 70 and Dan, <laughs> yeah. and, and Dan reacts, you know, negatively a uh, 60. And Dan is like 42. Actually, yeah. Dan does an even better thing where he's like 42. Like he almost goes to 43 and he, he like goes back down to two. Uh, uh-huh. I like yeah. that. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, so I wanted to kind of, I want to talk about, the teaser for the next special in a second, mm-hmm. but I, I, I kind of mm-hmm. my last thoughts, you know, thoughts wrapping up on this is I wanted you kind of repeat. This is it felt too busy. There was, mm-hmm. you know, you had two different pirate captains, the sea devils, the villagers, the unnecessary personal drama between the doctor and Yaz, and it all just gets crammed into fifty minutes, forty-seven, and, forty-seven minutes, and and then I'm sitting here going, the where where do we get the timeless child? We've dropped this giant bomb of a of a plot like of a uh, not plot but um lore bomb like the, this is lore mm-hmm. of the doctor who lore a bomb yeah. onto the whole series back in the flux well actually it was in the previous season and then i got a little bit in the flux but we we've like in the last two specials nothing this is a major mm-hmm. change to the doctor and her self-conception and all of these and they, i mean it could have figured into what she was saying to yaz even but nothing and i just feel like 
I, Why? I, sus- I suspect we're going to get more on that, at least a little bit more in the third special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. This is really the middle act special of the three act, you know, sort of structure. Mm-hmm. And although they don't, they're not following the typical dramatic structure, but um, but everything needs to build to, to that one needs to be the big one. And and we're going to have the master back. Mm-hmm. And the timeless child issue is central to her relationship with the master. Right. Also, if you look at the preview, Vendor V uh, Instant V Vendor is back, yep. and he may be her father, for all we know. So right. we that that right. may get involved as well. So let's talk about the preview for that special. So this is going to be Tegan and Ace. Tegan and Ace. <laughs> yes. Tegan and Ace. Yes. So it's it's. <laughs> It's a special that's going to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the BBC, presumably in the fall, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I think probably yeah. probably around November. Somewhere even. in there. And it's the regeneration. So the doctor will regenerate at the end. Uh, we've got uh, Tegan and Ace show up, which was awesome. Although Father Corey will, will uh, testify. I didn't recognize Tegan at first. I'm like, mm-hmm. is that Perry? No, no, it's <laughs> Tegan. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't recognize her face, but as soon as she started speaking, it's like, Tegan, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Ace, I mean, he still looks very similar. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of point out to Dom, you know, he, he mentioned Perry. It's like, no, if you've seen Nicola Bryant, let's say like in uh, Star Trek continues the, the YouTube channel, YouTube show, she still looks pretty similar to what she did oh, back okay. in the plus, plus Perry was dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Perry's dead. Uh, well, we'll or talk she? more about that. Oh, okay. Or is she? <laughs> or is she? Um, but yeah, no, it was as soon as I heard, Tegan's voice. I'm going. Okay, I recognize that voice. Yep, that's her. Okay, and then <laughs> and then we're going to have Daleks and Cybermen, including I think it looked like the lone Cyberman. The, that yeah, one yeah, from so this. Yeah, they show him. It yeah. was the lone Cyberman. And uh, what else? Did Kate we have? Stewart's going to be there. Oh right, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have a lot of stuff from throughout the the Who. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from the classic Who and New Who. By the way, I, we might want to mention. So they've been. Tegan and Ace are not the first two companions to come back uh, in mm-hmm. New Who. Yeah. Uh, the first companion to come back was Sarah Jane Smith, yep. who yep. came back in the school reunion or class reunion yep. episode of David Tennant. And then that yep. led to a spinoff of the Sarah Jane Adventures. And they brought back other companions in the Sarah Jane Adventures, like um, Joe Grant oh. and, and Sarah Jane teamed up. Um, cool. And there were plans for the fifth season of Sarah Jane Adventures to bring back Ace, I know. And I don't know if Tegan was planned, but I know Ace was. And they mention some of the, in the Sarah Jane Adventures, they mention um, what some of the other companions have been doing. Like they mentioned that one of the doctor's companions named named Dorothy has founded a, a, a philanthrop- philanthropic organization called A Charitable Earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so okay, Dorothy McShane is Ace's name and A Charitable Earth is an acronym for Ace. Ah. So clearly Ace has become a philanthropist. Right. Um and um and there were plans to bring Ace back and maybe one or two others, but then um Elizabeth Sladen passed on and they couldn't continue the series. So so if you want to find out more about former companions, you can check yep. out um the Sarah Jane Adventures for more. There was a book too that um, where Ace and the Thirteenth Doctor meet up. Mm-hmm. Right, I forgot the name of That's it. That's all Sophie Allred wrote. Yeah, yes, yes. And then, so, um, that, so I yeah. wonder if they'll reference that at some point. Oh, that mm-hmm. would be interesting to bring that in. Well, they probably they won't though because Ace says that in the the trailer that's been thirty years since she's seen the Doctor. Okay, 
So, right. Or heard from the doctor. Right. Heard from the doctor. So, yeah. And then uh, we actually know about Ian because there was a reference to him, although we didn't see him on screen, that Ian became headmaster of the Coal Hill School. We saw that in the 12th Doctor's yep. time. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Um, so anything else you want to say about the preview for the the tr- the for the, the, ne- the next special? Well, one thing you may notice, because they give us a glimpse of, of um, the Doctor regenerating and saying, yes, um, is that she's actually not on the TARDIS. So for I have to give Chris mm-hmm. Chibnall credit for this. For once, the doctor is not going to blow up the TARDIS again during regeneration. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This has happened every time in New Who. Ninth doctor goes into the TARDIS, blows it up. Tenth doctor mm-hmm. goes into the TARDIS, blows it up. Thirteenth doctor or eleventh doctor goes into the TARDIS, blows it up. Twelfth doctor goes into the TARDIS, blows it up. Um, it's like, guys. Remember the old days? You didn't have to blow up your own TARDIS every time. Yeah. But the downside and, of that? Even when they... The downside no, is no, we're no, not no, going to no. get a new TARDIS. No, 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 no. The new doctor just... It's like putting on new clothes. The new doctor just changes yeah. the desktop settings. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, that, that is my hope, though. We, we do get a new TARDIS, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we will. But it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the... the even the, the fifth doctor, the sixth doctor regeneration, which was a difficult one, that happened in the TARDIS console room. And the TARDIS didn't change. Yes. So right, right. It didn't blow up. It wasn't burning. Right. All right. So we'll look forward to that. So, and, and again, there's no definite because the BBC uh, treats it like a state secret when they're going to show these things. But uh, presumably sometime in the fall and maybe November around the anniversary of uh, the first episode. Or on the anniversary. Or on, yes. Yeah, well, whatever that is. Um, all right. We get, we do, I mentioned we have a little feedback from our discussion of the original Sea Devils episode with the third Doctor. Uh, Brett sent an email who had, he said, two things that struck me in this episode. First, I know that the BBC tried to cut back on Doctor Who's budget by trying to limit episodes where he was usually exiled to Earth until the three Doctors in season 10. But how in the world are episodes like this cheaper than going off world? In this one, you've got non-stock footage scenes, so original filmed scenes, happening on boats while lowering the doctor into the ocean. Surely not all of it was paid for by the Royal Navy. Uh, let's talk about I, that first. I, I think it was all paid for by the Royal mm-hmm. Navy. The, yeah. the, the, the military forces, if they have a show that they like, that they want to work with, they they will let them come on and just do their filming and they'll cooperate and they'll they'll let them use their facilities yep. and they'll... Um, you know, let real military personnel serve as extras and things like that. Um, this is there's a quite there's actually quite a history of that both in British and American television. It's considered yeah. like good publicity for the yeah. armed forces and mm-hmm. um and good uh recruiting potentially yep. if you're showing your military as competent and like in an attractive way you want to like you know inspire. Get their butts kicked by sea devils. Well, (laughs) no, just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, To give an example, before Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry had a show called The Lieutenant, which was a military drama about uh, a lieutenant in the Marine Corps. And it was filmed at Camp Pendleton, which is uh, it's like 45 minutes north of San Diego out here in California. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of being able to film at Camp Pendleton, the lieutenant 
as a TV show, got to use, you know, real military jeeps, real military buildings, real, real military people in the background, all kinds of stuff like that. And so the 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 network didn't have to pay for any of that. Mm-hmm. And that made mm-hmm. it the show uh, feasible financially because <clears throat> they never would have been able to afford all this stuff on a on a 1960s CV budget. And this year and for a while, the Marine Corps was happy to let Roddenberry do this. But Roddenberry, being the super preachy guy he is or was, couldn't resist doing an episode about racism in the Marine Corps. Oops. And in the early 1960s, this was a very inflammatory subject. And the Marine Corps did not want to be portrayed as harboring racism with, you know, of course, any human institution has sinners in it. And so I'm sure there were Mm -hmm. racists in the Marine Corps, but that doesn't mean they want to be publicly characterized that way. Or at least pay for it. That's not the way (laughs) that's not the way they want to have their reputation, you know, conveyed Mm -hmm. to people. And so um, so they said, guess who doesn't get to use uh, Camp Pendleton anymore? For all of their yep. free filming, yeah, and that's what doomed the uh, the show. And yeah. so mm-hmm. the lieutenant stopped, and Gene Roddenberry went on to do Star Trek. Yeah, a modern example of a you know the military paying for something was like Top Gun, uh, you know, mm-hmm. nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. Which they there's a lot of those subtle scenes there. Yeah, even even Stargate even Stargate got the advantage of it, where they would even have like Air Force chiefs of staff. Yeah. Coming on to the show and as extras to play their part, play themselves, basically. Yeah. In in regard to Top Gun. Yeah. 1986 is so much more recent than uh, 1962. I know. I know. As, as I said, it, I realized <laughs> how much I was making. Well, there's Top an old Gun 2 coming yes. out eventually. Yes. So maybe they'll have it, too. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I, made my, <laughs> I, I turned myself into an old man right there. But yeah, J- Jimmy's absolutely right. The Air Force, you know, the military would look at this as recruiting. They would look at this mm-hmm. as PR. They would, you know, and of course, like the ship scenes, you know, that were there lowering the the diving bell or whatever that they would be training you know yep. training for their crews on how to use this equipment so yeah. there's benefits to the military and to the filming crew as well yep. so uh then brett's second point my ears have never bled as much as they did watching this episode not just the sounds but some of the music too was this a common feature of early 1970s tv Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. They've they've discovered synthesizers. They've discovered noise generators and thought they were cool. Yes. Let's well, use it all the time. And that's normal when you have because, you know, for no one in previous human history had ever heard a synthesizer mm-hmm. or yep. a noise generator or and, and there was all kinds of experimentation going on. It's like, wow, this is a whole new set of musical tools. And also mm-hmm. the the. Recording fidelity was and broadcast was fairly yeah. low at the time, well, so it comes across in, as harsh in, to our ears. In England, yeah. the sound has always been terrible on broadcast. <laughs> I don't know what it yeah. is. <laughs> right, right. But uh, thank you, Brett, for the feedback. We really appreciate it. We love getting feedback. So that should do it. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Andrew G, Aaron M, John S, Joseph S, and Adam L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. 
So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of Legend of the Sea Devils. You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com or at the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. You can also send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the new StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the ninth Doctor Big Finish story. That's right, a brand new Chris Eccleston ninth Doctor story from Big Finish. Uh, The first episode of that is Sphere of Freedom. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, and side job. (laughs) Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, history is never like the books. Same with Stephen King movies. (laughs) 